0: We're in First Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to continue at verse 6, but let's do a quick review of the few previous verses. So Paul had told us in verses 4 and 5 that they suffered for preaching Christ and were driven out by the influence of the large Jewish community on the Gentile authorities. So they wanted to stay longer. Also, that we needed to know how you stood in Christ to see if you wavered in suffering and if you stood, continued with the Lord. So that was a normal thing they would like to know. Many people come to the Lord, a lot of them depart. They don't last too long. And we're talking about the ones that get the real gospel under conviction. And in the end times here, there's going to be and is a falling away from the true church. He's not talking about organizations or buildings. He's talking about the body of Christ. And as it gets darker and closer to the time of the Antichrist, it'll be as the time of Noah and Lot. There's going to be few saved. And those who are, they're going to fall away, many of them, giving heed to seducing spirits. And the Bible says doctrines of devil. So your faith being tested, he knew some of them because this was his experience where we went, some would fall away under the devil's temptation and trials and so forth. So he was saying, we want to know if our labor for you would have been in vain, worthless or dead. Now, when we read this context, we think it's a total waste. It's a waste for the convert. But the person who sows and plants and does something for the Lord, that's not wasted. Uh, We have no control over what people do with the messages, with the teaching. That's their business. Ours is to make sure they're given the truth and continually exhorted to stay with the Lord. So he wanted to see what their uh, determination was. Were they going to stand with Christ or were they going to fall away? And he was surprised because most of them stood. So he said that the ones that fall, people who fall away from the gospel, however long it takes, usually it's in the beginning, the fault always lies with the convert. They cannot blame teachers and ministers. If they're babes in Christ, if they get grounded and do what they're told, the Lord will see that they don't have to fall away. But if they're gullible and don't take the scriptures that they're given, the milk of the word, they will not last too long. And we've seen this. Trials and tribulations will test them. And in the early church, the true gospel, they always warned people immediately. They didn't trick people into getting saved. They didn't say, well, just confess Jesus or just believe and you don't have to worry about it. Because these people have a false gospel. They don't understand they can are born again, but they can die again. And many of them do. They don't stay with the Lord as the ones, some of them in the church of Galatia They went back to the law and mixed the law with Christianity and put the law of the commands and circumcision above Christ, and Paul implied that they need to be born again, again. He said, perhaps. He said, you've lost it. You began in the spirit, now you've gone back to the flesh or the world. And he prayed that they would be saved again. And so people don't like those scriptures. The greasy grace people and the once saved, always saved, they sort of just skip right over these scriptures. But in Acts, when they preached the gospel, they immediately called them disciples. The believers were disciples, and they told them to continue in the faith, to continue in the grace, continue in the fear of the Lord. It was not guaranteed. It's up to them. They can choose to receive the Lord, and they can choose to walk away. See, he does not alter their will. The new man does not override your will and what you want to do. It influences you like the old man, and you make the choice. And therefore, we have all the scriptures and the the epistles, 40% of them are admonitions and warnings to stay with the Lord and not go away because there is the possibility. So there is no unconditional security. This is a bunch of bunk that false teachers and shepherds propagate to make people feel comfortable and that they can live their own life and have fire insurance. But it doesn't happen. And that's why they will be weeping and gnashing their teeth in a lake of fire when they see the horror that they allowed themselves to be deceived, and they didn't want to know the truth. They wanted to believe stupid things. I hear that today. People say, well, if I hear a prophecy, I only want a a positive one. Well, then you will be deceived and go to hell, because you've already said, I will not be corrected. I will not be instructed. And Proverbs says, the fool, the person that refuses correction, courts death. Death waits for him. So we're seeing our Personality, our person, our will is always involved in every spiritual thing. We can follow the Lord or we can be tempted by the devil and the pleasures of this world and go back to the world. And we cannot hold to both. Yet many false ministers imply that we can. We can be saved and just lose our rewards. And this is a demonic teaching, it's nowhere taught in the scripture. Deception is the greatest thing that deceives people, and why most people are going to be in the lake of fire. They want to be deceived. They reject the truth when it's given to them. They don't want to be instructed, so they've already revealed a wicked heart that doesn't want to change, and this will always come out eventually. So we're now down to verse But before we go down, the minister again, he plants, he waters. It's God who gives the increase. And God can take the increase away if the person refuses to go on with the Lord. You have to continue. Paul said in the grace, he uses the word, there is no greasy grace. There is no irresistible grace. He speaks in in the epistles at times of people that grace has been given to them in vain because they didn't continue with it. They were not faithful in what was required of them. We are under a probation, and people don't want to believe that. Our life is a probation of being coming to the Lord, staying with the Lord, enduring to the end. This is what we do to prove our loyalty and faithfulness, and we have to do that. It's not automatic. Even the weapons of our warfare— In Ephesians, he says, Put on the helmet and the shield and take the sword. He tells the Christian to do it. He doesn't say it's automatic. He says, You put it up. And then he says, You will be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy and have it all warfare and fighting. He says, You'll be standing when it's finished. But if you don't put on the armor and you don't obey the scripture, you will be defeated. There is no irresistible grace. So now we go to 6 of chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing just as we do to see each other. That's what he's talking about. So he sent Timothy to inquire as to their state because they left too early. Some believe it may have been six, eight months later. So anyway, he brought the good news, and they thought it was great and wonderful news that you stood with Christ, that most of those he preached to were still standing, and they were enduring. And he was impressed with this. He had more problems with the church at Corinth and all of their odd ways and strange things he had to deal with. But these... They seemed to jump right into this, and they wanted to continue uh, with the Lord, and they were very receptive. So he brought us, Timothy came back and brought us this good news that you've stood with Christ and you've endured uh, your Christianity. And not only that, but you're full of faith and love, which is the fruit of the Spirit, shows you that Christ is working in them, the fruit of Christ proving that you are abiding in the vine. See, that's the results. It wasn't just lip service. There was fruit. There was obedience. There was endurance. So Paul was very impressed with them. And then he said, you are thinking kindly of us. See, what happens here? The fruit of the Spirit, the fellowship, recognizing Christ in each one, and the spiritual fellowship that they desired. So you desire to see us and fellowship with us and you're waiting for us to come back to instruct you further in your growth and instructions into a maturing Christian. So that's what he's talking about. He had further things he wanted to go on, uh, but he had been driven away by the secular authorities, uh, by the devil's influence, okay? Uh, Verse 7, so for this reason, that's why we sent Timothy, and he brought a good report, and he says, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were confident about you through your faith. So as we were being persecuted and afflicted, trying to bring the gospel to you and teach you, and then we were driven away, it distressed us, and we wanted to know how you were doing. We thought maybe many of more would not stand because there was no one there that was concerned with the things we were that needed to instruct you. But he says, we were comforted through your standing, through your faithfulness, that you were bearing fruit, that we planted and watered and God gave an increase and you kept and abided in Christ. You bore fruit. And so he was impressed with this, okay, or their Christianity. Verse 8, for now we live, he's talking about spiritually, if you stand firm in the Lord. Well, see, the false teachers don't like any of these if words and conditional or that leaves a thought. They want everything to be sure, and they're going to be in the lake of fire. That's how sure they're going to be. They've been given over to lying spirits. And that's the results. Even Jesus with the Pharisees and scribes, when Peter said, you've offended them and upset them, he said, leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch. So the people who are deceived by false teachers, they get what they deserve. They've revealed they don't have a heart to search out things like the Bereans did. They don't examine things. They don't stay with the Lord. And therefore the spirit does not instruct them. They're given over to lying spirit. They are responsible, but the teacher and minister is going to be held accountable for what he teaches, and if it's not the truth, he's in deep trouble, especially if he's teaching false doctrine. It's one thing to teach or be ignorant in certain ceremonies or things that aren't major sins. They can be overlooked or dealt with by the Lord. But if you're teaching lying gospel that encourages sinfulness and a license to sin, you're on your way to hell. You do not belong to Christ. You've deceived yourself, okay? So eight, we now live. We have eternal life when we're born again. But people think uh, it's forever. Well, that's the lying gospel. Once saved, always saved. It's not. We have eternal life as we abide in Christ. He is in us and we are in him. But if we cease to bear fruit and follow him, the Father, God himself, cuts the person off. They do not have life anymore. They've gone back to the world. So he's wanting you to know that. But we have eternal life now. We are overcomers if we're following the Lord today. But the overcoming is not guaranteed. Therefore, some of the false teachings, they don't like the book of Revelation because Jesus told each church, he that overcomes, I'll give him this. He's talking to Christians and he's talking about future overcoming. He ain't talking about the present. If you finally overcome in your Christian walk, then you'll get these things. If you fall away or do not endure, you will not get those things. Very plain. But demons deceive gullible people, even intellectual people, because they want to believe these things. They're gullible, and the spirits deceive them and blind them. It has not much to do with their intellect, it has to do with their heart and their will and their thinking. This is why brilliant people can be deceived and they can read scripture, and they can even teach some scripture, and yet they're not even saved. And they'll be saying, Lord, Lord, at the day of judgment, because they think he's their Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. You were never born again. You were never mine. You did as you pleased. So that's going to be the horror for many, many professing Christians. So we live in Christ. And we grow in grace and knowledge of him. When we say the knowledge, we're not talking about the Bible head knowledge alone. That's a foundation. It's talking about our personal growth, knowing him in relationship and knowing him spiritually. It's one thing to know about someone. We see people on television and we think we know all about them, but we don't know them. But then when you know someone personally, you begin to know who they are. And so many people know about God, and they think Christ is their Lord, but he's not, because they've not met the conditions of Scripture, and they've not followed the Lord, nor obeyed his Spirit, but they have a lot of Bible teaching, and they go to a lot of religious institutions, but they're still not his. So it's okay uh, to know about But eventually you have to know. So the word of God is to enlighten our mind, but it's what we do with it that determines whether there's going to be life. So if we live in Christ and Christ is in us, then we will grow and bear fruit in this relationship. So now we're saying there are many faults, especially today, and misguided. Ministers and they will not use these words because it enlightens people and disturbs them. But it's the one little word that people need to remember, might keep them saved, will if they abide. And the word is what? Let's go back over here if you stand firm. The word is if conditional. And you'll find this all through the epistles. You'll find this all through God's promises. If you will, I will. If you deny me, I'll deny you. If you do not stay with me, I'll forsake you. If you do not bear fruit, the Father will cut you off. These are all ifs. If you bear fruit, if you. So there's a condition there. There is no unconditional salvation, there is no irresistible grace. We live under probation, and our will is never taken from us, and we can follow or we cannot follow. We can yield to the new man, or we can yield to the old nature. That's the possibilities that we have. The difference with the Christian that has Christ in him, he does not have to be ruled by the old nature because Christ gives him the power to say no. The devil cannot take advantage or control of his will to deceive him if he stays with the Lord. So if, if, if you continue in the Lord, and if you continue in the faith, remember Paul said, uh, and immediately after he got believers, he called them disciples, and he said, and you have to continue in the faith, he said, for through much tribulation we enter the kingdom. He's saying through much affliction and warfare is how we're going to make it to heaven. There's going to be a pilgrimage or warfare. So it's not going to be a walk over, once saved, always saved thing. There's nothing to do like that. That's garbage. It's foolishness. It's a false gospel. He said, if you continue in his grace, he said, if you continue in the fear of the Lord. Well, Christians, many taught today, they don't even know what the fear of the Lord is. They don't know the reverence and obedience as part of the fear of the Lord. And Hebrews tells us to serve God with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. He's quoting the Old Testament when God said, I will consume and destroy the idolatry. Hell, the lake of fire, is the consuming nature of God. It's his wrath, anger, and vengeance against the sinner, against the wicked. That's God. So he hasn't changed that way, okay? He's the same God. Christ and the Father are one. They're not separated as much as we think they are. Nothing is done spiritually apart from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the creator of the world as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and he's referring to Christ, the Logos, and he says what? And the Word was God. And all things are made for him and by him in union with the Father. And then the Spirit moved upon the face of the earth that started doing. So this is what you'll always find in every ministry. It's the working of the Godhead. So don't try to separate them too much. Jesus made it plain, I ain't a father of one. And when they wanted to see the Father, he said, how long have I been with you and you don't know me? It was the Father speaking in him in union with Christ, the Word. Okay, So he is, as we've said, Jesus is the everlasting Father. He's the Almighty God. People think of the white throne judgment is just going to be the Father. They misunderstand Scripture. All judgment is given to the Son. And he is the Almighty. And there's only one throne in heaven. And it's by God the Father and the Son. See, they both claim the throne because they are one in unity. They're one in Godhead. They're not separated. They're not triplets, okay? So we see that if you continue, if the great condition, look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. Beware, brethren. Who's he talking to? As a whole, he's talking to those who are following the Lord. He wrote the epistle because some were falling away and going back to Judaism, because at the time there was a lot more persecution against the Christian, and he's warning them, but most of them stood with him. Okay, He said, beware, brethren. Lest there be in you an evil heart, the word unbelief is the same as disobedience, in departing from the living God. So what do people mean, once saved, always saved? It says here they can depart from the Lord. He's warning them not to. But encourage, exhort, that means to teach and warn about the dangers of falling away, the dangers of the enemy. Well it is today, he said, Why well, you can do this? Why well, grace is being extended, why well, the door has not been shut yet? He says, At the time the door is shut, not only for nations, but for individuals. The window was shut, the door too and the ark, and once that was it, people couldn't be saved. When the five foolish, foolish virgins came too late and were lazy and slept, it was too late. The master rose up and shut the door, and when they knocked, he said, I don't know you. Well, he did know them once. They were his. He didn't say, like he's going to say to the masses of Christianity, I never knew you. He did know them. But now he says, I don't know you, see, because they were not faithful. They did not walk with the Lord. They were spiritually lazy and slept. That's what sleeping usually means, spiritually lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So what these ones saved, always say, people don't understand, as they practice sin and have a license to sin, it deceives their spirit and mind. And so they think no matter what they do, they're saved. They'll tell you, at least I'm saved. You know, I may not get no rewards, but I'm saved by fire. Well, that scripture about the works being burned up and being saved by fire. If you look at the context, it's mainly referring to teachers and ministers, that their work of teaching is going to be examined and challenged. And a lot of us could be mixed with flesh, and a lot of us could be ignorant and not understanding things, but it's not going to cost them their soul. It's going to cost them their spiritual work that's fruitful. So, that ain't applying to all Christians uh, that they can live as they please and they have fire short. That's another lying spirit that's speaking to him, And he says, you're being deceived, okay? Lest any of you are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, many of the once saved always say people who practice sinning and think they have a license to sin, their spirit's been lied to and deceived and they believe that as the truth that they're wrong. And they're going to find out too late that they're wrong. It poisons their spiritual understanding. See, it's not all mental, intellectual knowledge. It's spiritual. So I've met and talked to people who try to convince me they're a Christian. And they'll talk about they were born again and what experience they had. And years ago, they saw the Lord and all these legitimate things. And then they tell me what they're doing. And I said, well, what are you doing? Well, I've been in an adulterous affair for three years. I said, because you're not a Christian. Oh, it upsets them. Now, uh, when people fall into sins, God gives them space. He don't give them months and years. Even Paul and Jesus said, repent quickly, lest I take your lampstand. Swift destruction comes upon those who get into gross sins and refuse to repent. So you're not going to find people who've lived weeks and months. No, they need to be born again. They don't like to hear that. Well, I just didn't walk with the Lord because you weren't his. See, they don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. And that's why Paul, when he named the 20-some sins or more, he said, if you practice this, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not a Christian. The inheritance is for Christians who are staying in the Lord. The inheritance is future in heaven. And he said, so if you make it a lifestyle, a habit, then you won't make it. So that's why he says, repent quickly, because it may cost you swift destruction. Oh, I've had these people argue if they used to do phone counseling, they want to talk to another counselor. I thought, yeah, you want me to give you some once-saved-always-saved counselor. And they usually get them. But I said, well, one day when they're in hell, at the judgment seat going to hell, it'll be brought before them. You were instructed, and you didn't want to believe the truth. See? They won't get away with anything. Okay? So you can be hardened. For we have become partakers of Christ, those who are regenerated. When we are born again, when we turn to the Lord, Christ's Spirit enters us, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we become partakers of Christ, the divine nature. But notice the word here again, that little word, if, read it often, if, you go find a lot of them, if we, on the condition that we hold the beginning of our faith, steadfast to the end. So as we turn to the Lord, we have to hold to him. There's no freebies. Christianity that has no conflict or suffering is a useless Christianity. It produces nothing. So it's the conflict, the enduring, the loyalty that proves we love Christ. A lot of people talk about, oh, I love the Lord. Or you have an emotional affection like you do for your cat or your dog. But the love of God is made very plain by Jesus. And John says, if you say you love God and you walk in darkness, you're living in gross sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. God does not accept. That's foolishness. That's human affection. Apart from the truth. So, most people that claim to be Christians, they don't know what it means to love God because they still live in darkness. They still live their own life. They're not led of the Spirit, they don't obey the Lord. And that's why they want fire insurance. Okay? So, it's the great if, if you continue. If you do this, the condition, if you're faithful to the end, you get everlasting salvation. Salvation here is in the present. Salvation is not a gift apart from Christ. See, people think it's a gift when God won't take it back. The gift is Christ himself. And he does not abide in a filthy temple. And people start to disobey and do gross sins, the Father cuts them off. Oh, they still think they're Christians. They want to believe they are, but he departs from them. He said he'll destroy that temple that uses it for gross sin, okay? So we need to understand we have salvation because we have Christ. Paul said he is made unto us redemption and sanctification it's in him so if you are not following the Lord you do not have salvation your one-time experience doesn't do you a bit of good it hasn't can you be got grafted in Christ and you may have bore fruit a while but when you cease the father eventually cuts you off and it says and they will be burned see you didn't stay with Christ You didn't stay in Christ. That was the condition that God, if we hold on, if we remain faithful, if we follow the Lord under opposition, and that's why we are given the weapons and ability to do it, but it has to be done by the Christian. It's not all God. People who always want to say, oh, it's God, it's God. If it ain't working in you and you're not consenting to it, it will not work. So most people that come under conviction to be saved do not get saved. And yet God's will is that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the Lord. It's not his will that any end up in hell. But most of them will because they will not submit to him. Mm -hmm. So we can see a lot of things now. God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven because people do not consent to do what he requires them to exercise their will and mind to yield to him. And that's for it does not get done, it's on them. Verse 9 For what thanks we can render to God because in the return, when they came back and everything, we, we got the joy and we rejoice before God because of your steadfastness. You're continuing in Christ, even under opposition and affliction, which even in those few months, he warned them. He never told them it was a walkover sure thing. Immediately began teaching these bay. You don't wait three or four years to uh, tell people what they have to do. That's false Christianity. You don't say, well, just believe Jesus and you don't mention sin, wrath, God's judgment, putting off the old man, resisting the world. That is not the gospel. As we said, Jesus, when he sent them forth to preach the gospel, the uh, disciples, the original ones, the apostles, he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to everyone teaching them to observe everything I told you. He didn't say five scriptures on how to get saved. See, you get saved, you're just beginning. But there's things that are required for you to stay saved. You have to keep going. It's the race. You don't just run the first three feet and say, well, I'm in the race, and then quit. Hebrews talks about those being turned out of the way in the race. We have to finish the race. Paul, toward the end, he knew what was happening. He said, I finished the race. I fought the fight of faith. So he knew what was coming in the last few months of his life. And he knew his ministry was about over. And he had been faithful and stayed with the Lord. Okay? So we're thanking God that we heard the good news. And they brought back to us. Of your progress, so they're very pleased with their fruitfulness. Ten, and as we night and day kept praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith, so they had been praying all the time, and that's why they finally sent Timothy and some workers to go find out what's going on. So we'll know what's going on, know how to pray, know what to do. We don't don't know anything, okay? And so they kept praying for him, even when they didn't know. And they wanted to see their face and fellowship with them. And he wanted to come back, and Timothy helped, because he was a minister and a teacher. He had a prophetic gift also. And he wanted to add to their faith, to mature them in their Christianity to establish them in the main foundations of what Christianity is. Hebrews named six of the foundations, and you never hear about uh, one or two of them. Not by the greasy graces, you don't, but it was, it was uh, turning from dead works and faith toward Christ. Works, he mentions works. Nobody likes that word, do they? Because they don't have good works, they're not saved they don't have obedience and fruitfulness, they're not saved. Good works is spiritual. We're not talking about pharisaical works, self-righteousness. We're not talking about works of Catholicism, all these mumble-jumble things that people do. The work that James and Paul are talking about, James says faith without works is dead. He said, I'll show you my faith. Paul said, if you don't obey righteousness, you don't have grace. He called being in grace, obeying righteousness. Obeying is work. It's a spiritual work. The same is fruit bearing, is a work. So that's the kind of works he's talking about, not self-effort, self-righteousness. Many people professing Christians do things hoping it'll measure against the bad things. It don't work that way. They want to ease their conscience, but they want to live their own life and still have God and salvation. Well, they're going to be deceived. Sin's going to deceive them, and they're going to stand speechless at the day of judgment. They're thinking they're going to heaven, and Jesus is their Lord, and he's going to say, you're cursed of my father into everlasting punishment. That's going to be the word they hear, and it's going to be too late to do anything About this, okay. So we see that they wanted to go back and teach them further that these Christians would grow from the baby stage to the young man stage in the Lord to being mature Christians. Uh People can be mature Christians in months if they apply themselves. Oh, we're always learning and we're growing in grace. But what he calls maturity is rightly discerning the spiritual dealings with us, what God's doing, how God's leading us. Not a guessing game. See, this is what maturity is. You know how to follow the Lord. You can discern between good and evil. A lot of young Christians can't. They do a lot of things out of goodwill, but it's not spiritual. It's fleshly, and it's wood, hay, and stubble for them but they are being sanctified. So the Lord overlooks this. He bears with them until they can get grounded. And how long they stay on the milk of the word is up to them. And I contend I don't believe a person can really be a Christian after 20 and 30 years and still be on milk. It means after a few years, he's got a Bible, she's got a Bible, And if they labored in the Bible and didn't even have a teacher, a minister, the Holy Spirit would enlighten them. So there are no excuses. We are all held accountable for how we respond to God. Let's take a break here.